Hey there, you beautiful Floridians. So glad to have you with us on another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. Hopefully you survived the storm okay. I think I had maybe a hair or two out of place after the worst named storm I've ever had to deal with. Isaias blew through. I'm Matt Austin. We didn't survive the name of the storm. We survived the storm just fine. It's just the name of the thing that got everyone... My brain was not capable of saying the name of this. Every time I saw it, my brain read Isaiah. It and it it would not change. Basically, how it's spelled. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. First of all, who are you? Hey, my name is Matt Austin. Who are you? (laughs) You just went right. You just launched right into it. And I'm Ginger Gadsden. Welcome to Florida's Fourth Estate, everyone. Good to have you. Look at how she critiques my intros. Look at this. It's I'm like you are totally my work wife, by the way. Well, <laughs> listen, somebody's got to keep you in line at work, and it's not me. Yeah. So we are so excited. We have a great show, as we, I feel like we always do, but this week in particular, because we're going to talk to a guy who I have admired for a very long time. Oh, and yeah. those of you who are CBS News watchers, you know the name Bill Harwood. And when it comes to anything, space related this is your go-to guy he has been doing this forever and it's just a chance for us to pick his brain especially since we've had the historic launch and now the splashdown so he's going to join us to talk about what happened uh you know this during splashdown that shouldn't have happened and just maybe just talk about the future of space and where we go from here so it's going to be an exciting conversation i always get really riled up when we get to talk about space because we live in central florida with the space coast so yeah you're gonna nerd out for sure we do want to say hi to the folks joining us we've got david who's saying good morning to us and oh i think there was an update in my software look you can actually see david on there uh cindy says a ginger i see your kitty in the plant yes uh lucky is going to make many appearances during this i am sure of it so she got in the office and i can't get her out (laughs) (laughs) i don't have time to catch her so it's fine yeah she's going to walk over a court or something we've got some crazy crazy floridians doing you know floridian things this week Gigi. again isn't that always the case the thing that you know we still have this pandemic going on and everyone is trying to get back to work and trying to get back to normal and some of the people who are trying to get back to normal and earn a living are these lyft and uber drivers so and when you hear what happened to this one particular driver he's just trying to stay safe he has a plastic barrier between him and the passenger which it looks just like a plastic shower curtain and it's just something that this guy a passenger was so upset about the car you see the attack here the car is still moving when this guy just basically puts this guy in a headlock and it's just the most disgusting thing you could ever see and listen to what he has to say because he was upset from the get-go matt you have the sound uh queued up yeah here we go. You got this for your like career, like for you to drive a car. Um, you put this in your car, like you installed it yourself. What? Look at that. It's crazy. He's like, you got this for your career. Yeah, and for my life and for your safety as well. And he just rips it down and puts the guy in a chokehold while the car is moving. Another thing, there's someone else in the car too, another passenger who doesn't even bother to help this guy. I mean, thankfully it ended with the Lyft driver not being hurt, 
which I, I don't know how that happened, but it, it just is one of those things where this pandemic has set, it has triggered people in so many ways. And I know this guy probably, the way he was talking, he sounded like he had a little bit to drink. A little bit? Yeah, for I'm sure. Yeah, I think he drank a pool before he yeah. uh, went in there. But, I, you know, you, he did have a friend in there. Not only did he have a friend with him, he had his friend's seven-year-old child in the back seat as he attacks a driver who is trying to drive a car. So I don't understand the anger. It's the same thing when people are mad at people who wear masks, if they're just trying to keep themselves safe. Obviously, this driver was really concerned about the virus, wanted his people to feel safe and separated from him. So he puts up this, you know, it looked like saran wrap or something, which would not be easy to do in your car. And yeah. his reward is he gets beat up and in a chokehold. In so. a chokehold. Yeah. Oh, well. Crazy. What are you going to do? Florida. We have Jacqueline weighing in. She says, uh, people have gone crazy. That is so messed up. <laughs> Poor Uber driver. And uh, Emily Register is joining us as well. The thing's so close to the passenger. Was it too close, she's saying? I don't know. It looked like he was fine when he was talking about it. Uh, that's for sure. More Floridians gone wild. There's a guy, you know, they had the PPP loans, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program. If you're a small business, this was a lifeline from the federal government to give you some of that money, help you pay people so you didn't have to furlough them or, or fire them altogether. I'm sure everyone who got it was really honest about oh, it. Oh, yeah, you know, there, this was, uh, it was the perfect system, except for this one guy. <laughs> In Miami, there was a gentleman who's 29 years old and apparently owns a couple of businesses. So he applied for the PPP program. Somehow he got nearly $4 million in PPP loans. This is a little piece of the complaint here. His name was uh, Mr. Hines, and he spent his PPP money on dating websites, luxury jewelry, clothing retailers, resorts. He also spent some of the funds to buy a 2020 Lamborghini sports car, which... Much like Isa Ias, I cannot pronounce it's so fancy. He spent $318,000. It was put in his name as well as the company's name. Wow. And, and he, you know, this is money people really needed. A lot of businesses were able to stay afloat with this PPP program. But, and I just read an article this morning as I was researching this. A guy in Texas did the exact same thing, bought a Lamborghini as well. It's almost like they did it as just a thumb in the eye, you know, to the government who's trying to help people out. So it's really Sad. unconscionable. And it's keeping legitimate people who really need that money from, from getting it. It's just, it's, you know, I would have respected him more if he got the money and just like maybe paid, you know, the mortgage for some of his friends or something. But to buy it at 2020, not even used Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> Brand spanking new. That, that's, it's wild. So, all right, we got, we've got one more crazy story. And now, your Floridian of the Week. So this week we're talking space, and we thought it was appropriate that our uh, Floridians decided to try to crash the party. We have this big historic moment this week. There's splashdown of astronauts. Bob and Doug, they return. And then look at this. All of these, all of these boaters charge the capsule. They get close to this thing which is a really terrible idea, both for them and the crew. It is dangerous. This wasn't just one boat. This was several boats. Here's Jim Bridenstine talking about this. 
That was uh, not what we were anticipating. The boats just made a beeline for it. There are things that we're going to look at that we can do better next time for sure. <clears throat> yeah, from what I understand, this capsule GG is just covered in toxic stuff uh, from re-entering yeah. the atmosphere, and it could have been dangerous for everybody. And it was one of the reasons it took them such a long time. It took them a little more than an hour to like make sure everything was clear before they opened the hatch and got these guys out. So who knows what they, you know, could have been exposed to and what those boaters may have been exposed to had they gotten even closer than that. But I just can't imagine. And people, I posted that on my Facebook page. People got upset. They're saying they have every right to be where they needed to be because they're taxpayers. So they pay for this. And I was like, it's not about being a taxpayer. It's about these two American heroes who got, who did so many things to get back here safely. I'd hate for them to splash down and you be the person who screwed it up. So anyway, and on that note, we're going to introduce our lovely <laughs> guest today, CBS news correspondent. And I call you a space expert. You're a space correspondent because you, you talk about many things, but space, I really believe, is your forte because you, you've been covering the space program for how long now, Bill? Oh, let's see. I think I started full-time in 1984 and then for my college paper, a couple of shuttle missions before that. So it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time, which is why we love having you and your wealth of, of knowledge. Tell us a little bit about what you thought about, one, the historic liftoff, you know, and they spent a couple of months in space, and then the splashdown. Because, I mean, these are two big moments for this country. Yeah, they really are. You know, ever since the space shuttle flew its last flight back in July 2011, the United States has been relying on the Russians. You know, they're paying the Russians more than $80 million a seat to carry U.S. and partner agency astronauts to and from the space station. Now, you know, way back when they decided to retire the shuttle, the idea was, we'll build new spacecraft, they'll be flying within two years of the shuttle's retirement. And of course, politics got involved, the money got stretched out, the program got delayed, and the ultimate winners of those contracts, SpaceX and Boeing, uh, ran into technical problems on top of all that. Uh, so they finally took off, as you say, on May 30th, and that's just a milestone event because that's the first step toward ending that reliance on the Russians. It's not that this is going to be that much cheaper than flying with the Russians. Pardon the telephone ringing there. Sorry about that. That's Nora uh, O'Donnell calling. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's not so much that it's going to be so much more inexpensive than it was before, but the money will be spent in the United States. I mean, that's important. Uh, so I think that was a milestone for NASA. They want to get these things running operationally so they can routinely, if I can use that word with spaceflight, uh, carry astronauts to and from the station. So launch is a major milestone, but obviously you've got to bring them down safely when the mission's over. Uh, this was the first water landing for astronauts in 45 years, uh, since 1975 when the final Apollo capsule came back to Earth. And the thing about the boaters, you know, it really caught me off guard. Flash down. As you can see on your screen, you yeah. have visual yeah. information for splashdown. Yeah, Bill, that was crazy. What were you thinking, Bill, when you saw that? Well, the first boat we saw was the recovery team heading out there to, to save the capsule. But when I saw all the pleasure boats and how close they come, there's two issues here. You obviously want the area clear when the capsule's coming down. I mean, you don't want to land on a boat, right? I mean, I can't imagine how that could happen, but if there's boats in the area, who knows? Mm -hmm. But the big threat is the one you alluded to. Uh, when it hits the water, it's still loaded with quite a bit of very, very toxic propellant. They're called hypergolic propellants, and they use them 
because you don't need a spark plug. You bring these propellants together and they burn all, all by themselves. They are both extremely toxic propellants. You breathe it, get it on your skin. It, it, is, it is deadly. Uh, and so you want to make sure the area is clear just in case as the capsule comes down, you know, maybe something happens, a valve leaks or a pipe breaks or something like that. Uh, you don't want anybody in the area because that's just an extraordinarily dangerous situation. Now, not for the astronauts. They're sealed inside a pressure vessel. It's airtight. They're not exposed to anything in there except normal breathing air. But, you know, a boater within 20 feet, 20 yards of that capsule, you're absolutely within range. Uh, so it, it, it's alarming. And, you know, when you think about those old Apollo splashdowns, they were way out in the ocean. I mean, there weren't any pleasure boaters out that far. So I think when we start thinking about routine landings in the Gulf or just off the shore at the east coast of Florida, that's something they're going to have to take more seriously, no question. Uh, the Coast Guard's going to have to yeah, step they, up and really police they that. They landed up in uh, Pensacola, and so that's a re really narrow area. So people probably could figure out, even if they didn't give the actual coordinates, you know, I think NASA said next time we won't tell them we're going to splash yeah, down. That's I, probably a good idea. I had the worst just vision in my head of some drunk guy with like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, jumping onto the capsule and pulling out Bob and Doug. Please tell me, Bill, that that could not happen. There's got to be a code or something on the door to keep something crazy yeah. from happening, right? Uh, that, that couldn't happen. Plus, there was one, one they call them fast boats. It's a, a ship carrying recovery personnel for SpaceX. I mean, they were there. I mean, they would have kept anybody from doing something as crazy as that. But just being in the area is a dangerous thing. And so that's that's why clearly they're going to have to take some steps to prevent that down the road. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, don't you feel this was and, and you you mentioned it a little while ago. This is it was such a successful launch and landing. And people forget that this is still just a test, which is why there were just two of them who went up there. Um, this time. So what can we expect moving forward now? Because it was it, it went as flawlessly as it could have. Well, you really put your, your finger on it. It went as flawlessly that we could see. Um, you know, the whole point of a test flight is that there's just gigabytes of data from all the sensors, uh, navigation, computer stuff. They're going to go back and review every bit of data that was collected during the launch, a free flight to the station, the undocking reentry and make sure it really was as flawless as it seemed to all of us. And it certainly seemed that way to me uh, because they want to make absolutely sure they're not missing something. This was a test flight, as you say. Now, assuming all that goes well, and I have no reason to believe it won't, uh, they will be able to declare the Crew Dragon vehicle, the SpaceX capsule, operational. So the next flight won't be a test flight. It's going to be a full-up mission to the International Space Station. The four-person crew is already assigned and in training. Uh, and if all this goes well, they're going to fly. Right now, the targeted date is late September, but it's it's almost certainly going to slip a month or so to the other side of a Russian launch to the station. But anyway, minor point, they're going to fly this year. And interestingly, the very capsule that landed this past weekend, when it launches again next April in that time frame, it's going to be carrying uh, Megan MacArthur, who is the wife of, of this cruise, Bob Banker. So... <laughs> Uh, they're both going to get to fly you know, the first three missions of the Crew Dragon, which is pretty exciting. That is pretty amazing, Bill. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was these astronauts. They come back down to Earth. They don't just jump back into normal society, right? Can you explain to us? I know I was listening to their press conference the other day. It sounds like there's a significant amount of physical therapy that they have to go into when they get home, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, this particular mission is not that bad. They were only up there for two months. 
Normally, space station crews are up there between five and six months. Now, you know, you, you lose muscle tone. There's bone density issues when you're in microgravity for that long. Because of that, every astronaut on the space station spends two hours a day exercising. They have a, a treadmill where they kind of strap themselves down to it and run. They're resistive training like you're lifting weights. They do that two hours every single day in that six months they're up there. And when you watch a crew come down on a Soyuz mission who's been up there for six months, they do not walk at all. You know, they're carried out of the spacecraft on stretchers. Uh, they undergo a full month of really intensive physical therapy. And that's roughly how long they say it takes you to kind of get your land legs back after a mission like that. Uh, so it's going to be just the same for people coming down on the SpaceX ship as it is for those coming down on the Russian Soyuz. Lots of physical therapy to get back in shape again. And all of that serves as data uh, for the medical folks that are trying to figure out how do you keep crews healthy on a really long flight to Mars, for example. Uh, yeah. They've got to be healthy when they get there so they can climb down a ladder and walk around on Mars, and then they face an equally long trip coming back. So all of the stuff they're doing on the space station feeds into that, and uh, hopefully will we'll lead to better therapies for astronauts down the road going to Mars. Yeah, and this is why it was so important, you know, I, um, going back to staying on space station, uh, Scott Kelly and his, his twin brother, Mark Kelly, I think Scott Kelly was the one who spent a year uh, sure. on the ISS, and it physically changed him. Um, and so it's just great to, like, have that experience to study him with, with his twin and how different he was when, when he came back. He, I think he was a little bit, a little bit taller than than his twin brother. I mean, it, it normalized at some point. It does, and everybody gets a little taller in space because your spine stretches back out. It's not being pushed down by gravity like it is on the Earth. But they did notice cellular changes, as you mentioned. Uh, and they're planning additional year-long flights here pretty soon. There are going to be other astronauts that'll be spending that kind of time aboard the space station. Again, kind of serving as guinea pigs to help figure out, you know, what do, what do we need to do to protect people on really long-duration space flights? Yeah. Bill, the whole key to this whole thing is trying to eventually get to Mars. First, we got to get back to the moon. Can you kind of lay out the timeline for us here for folks? It, it is hard to keep track of the, the dates change and all of that. So kind of lay out the timeline for when we're going to get to the moon and then to Mars. Well, you know, the focus is right now has been on the SpaceX Crew Dragon, but that's a, that's a space station only sort of mission. NASA's Artemis program is focused on getting to the moon. This is a a push by the Trump administration to put boots on the surface by the end of 2024. NASA had been targeting 2028, working toward that kind of slowly but steadily. They've moved it up four years, and now the goal is to get there by 2024. Now, to do that, NASA's building a gigantic rocket called the Space Launch System, or SLS. Actually, Boeing is the prime contractor. Uh, the big core stage of that rocket right now is down in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, getting ready to undergo what they call a green run test where they're gonna fire up these engines and run it on the launch pad for a full duration firing to make sure that it's working okay. If that goes okay, they're gonna ship that stage to the Cape and launch it uh, mid to late next year on an unpiloted mission that'll send an Orion capsule out beyond the moon and then back again. And if that goes well, they're gonna put a crew on board the Orion, launch it in the late 2022-2023 timeframe, kind of a shakedown flight, and then the first landing right now remains targeted for sometime in 2024 uh, when, a, when a male astronaut and a female astronaut uh, will fly to the moon, descend to the surface in a lander, and walk there you know, for the first time since the last Apollo flight. Uh, so that's the schedule. Now, can they do it by 2024? 
Mm. Comes down to money. Congress has to give them the money to make that happen. Uh, the Trump administration has requested a lot of money uh, to get it kick-started, but it's not yet clear if Congress is going to go along with that. So that's kind of a stay-tuned thing. But if the money flows, NASA believes they could do it uh, in the next three years. Yeah, and so many things have to go right as well as having the money, you know, because they have to test all of these systems. Do you feel we'll ever get back to a point where, because remember when the shuttle programs, it became routine when it would take off and land, so much so that until something tragic happened, we didn't pay attention to it again. Do you think we'll get to a point with this where it's going, because with what Elon Musk is doing with, with SpaceX and the reusing of the rockets, it really does seem like it has become something that is normalized now, but it really isn't. No, it isn't, and, and I would argue it's ever calling any shuttle flight routine. They were extremely uh, dangerous uh, uh, missions those people flew. Um, you know, no, I don't think that the moon program will ever get to a stage like that. You know, you're launching the shuttle six or seven times a year. Elon Musk launches the SpaceX rockets, you know, dozens of times a year. Mm -hmm. uh, the SLS booster is so expensive. NASA's only planning on launching one a year, maybe two at most. Uh, so I don't think it'll ever have the, the pace uh, that we've seen in past programs just because of the extreme cost of it. Now, on the other hand, you know, NASA's whole point with the Artemis program, they're trying to design systems that are, that'll remain operational for years and years and years. You know, the administrator, Jim Bridenstine, talks about a sustained presence on the moon, not just to go up, grab some rocks and come home like Apollo did, but a long-term program to explore the moon and possibly exploit resources like ice, uh, which you could build your own, you could, you could extract the ice, you could extract oxygen and hydrogen, make water, air, rocket fuel, do it all on the moon, and that would certainly facilitate flights to Mars, et cetera. Uh, but that's the goal, a sustainable presence on the moon. Again, uh, I, I don't think there's any question they could do it technologically. The, the question comes down to what is what is the supporting Congress and the White House uh, to, to pour the money in to make that happen? And that's that's just a big question mark. I don't have an answer to that. Bill, I would love to ask you how you could make rocket fuel out of ice, but I don't think we have that kind of time on this podcast. <laughs> that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, but I do want to ask, there are several companies who are angling to try to be our basically space exporter here. But the one we hear about all the time is Elon Musk and SpaceX. Are they that far ahead of everyone else, or are they just better at branding? Like, I'm just curious as to if we're rating the companies uh, as to who's maybe uh, in the driver's seat right now, is SpaceX in the lead? Because it sure appears to be so. First of all, remember, that's what the shuttle used for fuel on its main engine. So just FYI on that one. <laughs> okay. um, Elon has shaken up the industry. There's no question about that. Building reusable rockets, he's lowering the cost of it. His ability to launch, you know, rocket after rocket after rocket is extremely impressive. Uh, but to get to the moon and to carry the kind of hardware for, for interplanetary spacecraft, you know, he's building a, a new rocket called the Starship uh, that will dwarf anything that's flying now. But he's a long way from launching that one. That's not here yet. And don't forget Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. Uh, his company, Blue Origin, if you ever drive over here to the Cape, he is building huge facilities here. Uh, to build his own rockets and spacecraft. And he is going to be a player down the road. In fact, he's won one of the contracts to build a lander for the Artemis system to carry astronauts down to the moon, uh, the moon's surface. So 
you know, Musk certainly gets has the visibility. He's got operational rockets flying right now. Uh, but you can't rule out uh, the Bezos and, and Blue Origin. And don't forget United Launch Alliance, the, the, the old the old standard, if you will, that's the partnership between Boeing and Lockheed. They've been launching Atlas and Delta rockets for a long, long time, and they're clearly players in this too. Uh, but I agree with you. Elon uh, Musk has certainly uh, captured the headlines, and rightly so. I mean, he has clearly shaken up the industry. Uh, he clearly has a head start in that sense in new technology. Uh, but how the other players are going to evolve down the road, I mean, they might give him a run for his money. Yeah, but, but he is so uh, head and shoulders above everyone else as far as his media savvy game and the way he uses social media. I feel like, you know, he knows that that's the thing that's going to put him out front. Well, he gets a lot of attention from a lot of folks who admire what he's doing with the electric car company, Tesla, and building these lower cost rockets. But but one of the issues with SpaceX, of course, is we don't have the insight into SpaceX because they're a private company. Uh, you know, NASA is, is under under law, has to tell people what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, he doesn't. So we don't hear about problems with SpaceX. We don't hear about the problems they have or what they do to resolve them. Um, he gets a lot of positive press, and again, deservedly so. But I, I take all of that with a grain of salt. I think this is something that we have to see how it plays out over the long haul. You know, that's very so, interesting. Yeah, to hear to hear you say, Bill. I never I never thought of it like that. I thought, you know, if there were something going on in there that we would hear about it. But it's true that it's a private company. It's also a private company that could make a whole lot of money one day. Do you think these satellites they're putting into space to to generate this worldwide internet could be one of the biggest businesses? the world has ever seen? I, I think it could be. That's a really interesting question. As a matter of fact, they've got a launch scheduled here tomorrow, uh, early tomorrow morning. Um, that's a good question. Uh, if Is there a global market for it? You know, Musk jokes sometimes that, you know, there's a lot of money in space and it's really easy to lose it. Uh, <laughs> pumping a lot of money into this, he's gambling that there is a big market for this. But, you know, we've heard similar things from satellite telephone companies in the past that you know, never really evolved in the kind of markets that were initially envisioned. Um, I think a more interesting question to me anyway, because I'm an amateur astronomer, you know, he's talking about putting thousands and thousands of these Starlink satellites in orbit, uh, which could have a major impact on astronomy, ground-based astronomy with some of these giant telescopes. Uh, they're sensitive enough to see these things. And I mean, you're already seeing reports, you know, people taking time exposure photographs of a galaxy or whatever, and you see the trails of Starlinks in there. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out when uh, you get, you know, t several thousand of these satellites in the sky, not to mention the, the complications that raises for launching rockets and other missions that have got to fly through those guys, you know, on their way to their targets. It's just a really interesting situation that's never really developed before. Uh, you know, Musk and, and the Starlink guys think this is all going to be just fine and they could sell a useful service around the world to people who would not normally have internet access, you know, people in the middle of nowhere would be able to pull high-speed internet down from satellites passing overhead. And that's clearly a good thing. Uh, but but the other parts of it, all the launches, the, the sheer volume of satellites, the impact on astronomy, space navigation, all of that, that's, that's kind of an open question right now, too. Yeah, but as an amateur astronomer, are you a little irritated because we can see Starlink in, with our naked eye? <laughs> we, you know, we have a pro, we, we can see it from the ground. You can see them in their initial orbits, but they usually raise them to an operational orbit. And at that point, uh, they become much, much dimmer. And I don't think people, uh, I certainly haven't seen them like that. Um, and, and SpaceX, to their credit, they're doing quite a bit to try to minimize 
the reflectivity of these satellites. They put sunshades on board. They've experimented with some with some darker, uh, I call it paint, but darker coatings on the things to make them not reflect sunlight as much. And so they're, they're, they're very clearly making an effort working with the astronomical community. I just raise it because it's an unknown. I, you know, you got to, they're talking about launching so many satellites. I mean, really, literally thousands and thousands of these things uh, that, that, okay, well, it, it may well all work out like that. Maybe not, though. I'll tell you what, those things did a low pass the other day, and people saw that line of dots across the sky, and they called the newsroom. I mean, we were getting blown up with what is happening. Is there an alien invasion? It could freak people out, Bill. It is impressive. Um but, you know, if it gets people out looking at the sky, that's not a bad thing either. <laughs> you know, on any given night, if you've got a clear sky, you can see satellites. Uh, you know, they, they're visible about an hour to an hour and a half after sunrise. I mean, before sunrise, an hour to an hour and a half after sunset, when we're in shadow, but the satellite's still up in sunlight. So it's reflecting back and you can see them. You know, I watch the space station fly over all the time. The Hubble Space Telescope, you can see them quite easily. The Starlinks are much smaller. They don't reflect nearly as much light. And at the altitude they're supposed to operate at, I don't think most people will see them once they boosted to their operational orbits. But big telescopes probably can. So that's a that's what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. All right. Good stuff. Well, Bill Harwood, thank you so much for giving us a little insight into the space industry that is such an exciting place right now. Our Space Coast, certainly the capital of it. And Ginger, I'm proud of you for not nerding out too much during this interview. Well, you know, I kept it cool. I kept because you know, I <laughs> I could listen to Bill talk all. I was really just listening to him because he is he really knows what he's talking about and he's just fascinating. And we're CBS is very fortunate to have him. <laughs> you got to for the ego. I'll say that. <laughs> it's true though. It's, it's true. Pleasure. I enjoy talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Yeah. A pleasure as always. Bill Harwood, thank you so much. Thank you to everybody who's joined us on the chat today here for Florida's Fourth Estate. We'll have another episode for you next week. Have yourself a fantastic end of your week and weekend. Thanks for joining us.